We are learning Daf Mem Hey. So we're starting from uh, six lines down. The Gemara says, I'm only a buyer of Yosef. We came out yesterday when we're dealing with the Indian of somebody who sold his slave, who was in Eretz Israel, they live in Eretz Israel, and they sold him to someone who lives outside of Eretz Israel. So we say that we make a knas and we make a penalty and we have to free the slave. But we clarified that the way that the Rabbanon made the knas is that they said the sale is effective. The money doesn't have to be returned. And the second master, therefore, is the one who owns it. And the second master is the one who has to free it. That's what we came out yesterday. Which means that basically the penalty is on the purchaser as opposed to the seller. That's what it effectively means. Had we wanted to canast the seller, then we would have said that the, the money, should be, should money, money should be returned. And the first guy is the one who frees him. No, we're saying the opposite. The sale is valid. The purchase is valid. And then for the second master, for reason. So the Gemara asked the obvious question here. What do you see, literally, that you're making the penalty on the purchaser as opposed to making the penalty on the seller? Again, the nafkimina would be not only practically who's going to make the maisa shekh or who's going to be the one to give him the get, but it's also about understanding if the money is kept or not. The way the chazaw or madrid, the money is kept, it's a valid sale. And now immediately we say that the, 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 the purchaser has to make the knas. So very clearly that it's highlighted upon him. So why is that? So Amalei, the Gemara says, a famous quip over here. Lavach, baragana, velacharagana. When a mouse steals, he needs a hole to keep it in. So who is who's doing the wrong thing? Is it the mouse or is it the hole? Interesting philosophical question here. So the Gemara says it's not the mouse. The mouse is not doing anything. Because if the mouse doesn't have a hole where to put it, then you can't steal the food. Right? You've got to be able to escape over here to the mouse hole. It doesn't just mean where you store it, but it means that's part of his escape here. So you can't sell the slave unless there's a purchaser. So therefore, the purchaser is the one responsible. Because without him, no one can sell. So the Gemara says, well, why don't you look at it differently? If not for the mouse, then how would the hole steal anything? Right? The hole's not picking up and stealing. So basically what we're saying is that the, 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 the passivity of the hole doesn't define his liability. Right? So if you have the same thing here, I guess... Could say it in that way, that's the marshal of the Gemara, is that the lokeach here is the passive participant. So if anything, you should look at the seller who's, who's like affecting it, you should look at him as more of a responsible party. So the Gemara says, no, it's logical, wherever it presently is located, right? Right now, the slave, wherever, wherever the, the, the item of Isser, we're looking at the chafs of the Isser as the slave, where it is, we're going to make the penalty. So therefore, we're saying that there's a din that where the slave is by the purchaser, we're going to make the kinas. Okay, very good. The Gemara doesn't explain really what it's trying to say so well. You know, like it's left out a little bit. So some of the Rishonim fill in just on one little twist that really it's the problem of the fact that he's in a place which is outside of Israel, right? That makes it impossible to do the mitzvahs or whatever it is. It prevents him from doing the mitzvahs or, or that are only clueless barits. So when we say the iser, it's not like the, the slave is a chesed, the iser, like a piece of trade. He's not, right? He's not an iser. It's a, lo, it, it's a location. That's really what it's more about. What the Gemara is saying, the makamah iser is the, the place of the lokeach. And that's why we, uh, we make the knas there. The Maisa, how does the Gemara come out on philosophy? Is the, mouse, is the mouse the one who's responsible or is it the whole? It really comes out poshness from the Gemara that the philosophy, you can look at it two ways, but it's really irrelevant to us. That's poshness the Maskan of the Gemara. It doesn't really matter. The point is here, there's a new year, that's where the penalty is going to lie. Now we're going to talk about the opposite. We don't ever talk about someone who sold from Israel to outside of Israel. There's a Kanas. So now the Gemara tells us a story. There was a slave. He ran away from his master outside of Israel. And he ran to Eretz Israel. 
So Azumara Basri, the master goes after him to Eretz Yisrael. He's trying to retrieve him. He's going to do whatever it takes to get his slave back. So Asal came to Ravami, gave in front of Ravami, and he thinks he's got legal rights to try to recover his slave. So Ravami said, Let's write up a document for the value of the slave. Meaning, let's write up a note of debt that the slave will owe to you for his value. And you instead should reciprocate and write him a get of cheres. Meaning, Ravami's not giving him what he wants. Ravami's not going to help him retrieve his slave. To the contrary, he's going to compel him to free him, although he will be compensated nicely for it. But he's going to try to get him to free him. Below, he says, if you're not going to volunteer to free your slave, I'll just remove him completely from, from your service. I'm just going to, I'm going to make sure you don't get it back. And the Gemara now gets into a whole thing how this is true. But basically what's going on is that we're going to introduce a concept that when someone makes Aliyah, runs to Israel, even if he's slave, you can't force him to leave Israel and go back to work for you. We're going to have a Tirasha, an interesting din. Guy wants to be Zeicha to make Aliyah, you can't force, remember, Avakanani is basically a Jew in many regards. You can't force him out of Israel to go back to work for you. The only two things you could possibly do is you yourself can move to Israel and you can still be your slave in Israel. But to get him to forcibly leave Israel to go back and work for you, you cannot do. We'll introduce that. So therefore over here, basically that's, the, that, 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 that's his options. He can either move to Israel, which he's not clearly not doing. His other option would have been that we showed him say, hypothetically, you could sell the slave in Israel to someone else who lives there. But the market for that is really bad. For basically the reason is because the, the buyers there have all the, have all the power because they know he can only be sold to this here. He can't take money. So basically he's saying, you're not going to end up doing well if we go down this, down this rabbit hole. So therefore, the smartest thing for you to do is to voluntarily agree to free the slave and you'll be compensated nicely. You'll get the full value of the slave, which is great. Whereas if you go and you try through different means of, of trying to get him back, you're going to end up losing this case. So where do we see this whole concept from? That the slave, by running to Israel, has the right to remain to Israel. Where is this all? So the Gemara gets into this. The Tanya says in Abraisa, the Yeshu of Here we're talking about the Canaanim who live in Canaan. So it says that they shouldn't live in your land. They're going to cause you to sin against me. So who is the Pasuk talking about? That, that, that When the Pasuk is saying they shouldn't live in your land. You might think that the Pasuk is even talking about if the guy was makabal upon himself not to be evade avodazara, and the Torah is still saying, even so, he's excluded from living in Eretz Yisrael. The Pasuk says, no. We have a different Pasuk here. And this is the cryptic Pasuk which we're going to be looking at. Do not deliver an Eved, don't deliver an Eved um, to his master, Asher who escapes to you, from his master. So what do we think that the Pshad and that Pasuk is saying? What we're basically trying to say is that if there's a, a, a guy who was enslaved, we're going to call him to his Gechkas, you know, to his idols, and then suddenly he gives up on his idols and he runs away, don't return him. And meaning to say there's a, there's a concept that he's able to stay with you. And that's the way we're going to expound the Pasuk, very, very much a homiletical in, in interpretation. We're saying the slave is the guy. It's really just the mushal. If there's an Evid, there's a slave who renounces, he runs away from his master. That means like he's renouncing his idolatry. Don't chase him away and return him to his master, return him to his idolatry. Rather, be makar of him and accept him as a part of society. What an interesting homiletical drush. But that's what we think the Pshah and the Pasuk is. My Takanta, what is the Takanta? Rather, he should dwell with you amongst you. So therefore, the Pasuk is saying, if the guy wants to do Avodah let him live. Okay, we're, 
just pause. We're going to get to the slave in a second, what we wanted. If the slave makes aliyah, we have to go through different interpretations before we eventually get there. However, we reject that homiletical interpretation of the poskit. Because, What does it mean he ran from his master? Should have said from his father. It's difficult, the master here is talking about the idolatry. It's difficult to say that he's saved from idolatry. It made a lot more sense to talk about a father because a, th- a father would, would typically put like all that pressure that I'm going to punish you unless you accept the idol. So the, the, more, the more precise muscle to give over here would have been a father. So therefore, we reject the homiletical interpretation. So what is the positive talking about? El Amar So he tried a little bit different. That maybe he's talking about yesterday's din. That if you sell a slave to outside of Israel, that there's a kenas. And then what's it saying? It's telling Basin, stop to sell a slave. Meaning, don't deliver the slave to his master. But rather, what it's saying is, he should go free. And it would be some sort of remiss from the pasuk to, to, the, to the penalty that we learned about yesterday. That if there's an evidence which is sold to Chutz Laaretz, so don't make him work. But rather, you should free him. However, we don't like that either. This that it says, he escapes you. It should have said, he is separated from you. In other words, what does he nuts mean in this idea? In, in this idea, because we're not talking about an Evid who was running away, we're talking about that, that he was sold to Chutzla Arts. So what does it mean? It must mean that he nutzel means that he's separated. That's the idea. He's separated from, from Eretz Yisrael. So what we're saying is, then it should have been me'imach, from the community, instead of elecha to you. Fakert, he's leaving Eretz Yisrael. So the grammar is off. It should have been, he's been separated from you. He's been separated from the community in Israel. Now Basin has to make sure that he, that, that he goes free. So the grammar is off. Rather, what we learn, and now what we understand how this comes to what we're talking about, it's talking about if a slave ran away from outside of Eretz Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. And now that's what it's saying. He shouldn't be returned to his master outside of Eretz Yisrael. Don't deliver him back to his master when he was when he was escapes now and runs to you. And that's what Rabbi was relying on in that story before, that there's taka such a halacha that he can't go back to Chutzlaris, and that's what he was telling him. If you want to have your best interest here, you should uh, willingly just free him and get the money now. All right, says the Gemara, not everybody dashes the Pasuk that way. The Pasuk's talking about someone bought a slave on condition that he will free him. What does that mean? Hey, dummy, what exactly happened? He wrote him in a get check before he even bought him. He wrote him, When I purchase you, you're retroactively acquired by yourself already from now. So what's going on? So what's going on is that there's a yisait of davar shalom belolam. You can't make a transaction on something that's not around. Like if I say the deal, oh, I'm going to buy a piece of real estate. And when I buy it, then it's, it's flipped to you. So once you buy it, you can flip it, right? But before you buy it, before the owner, most of the tanah mold, you can't make the hakna, the transaction for what will be in the future. Something is not in your control. So here, Pashtas, if I say, when I will buy the slave, then he will go free. Most of the Tanam hold. That's an Eidah Makhdavah Shabbat You can't make such a chalais. However, Rebbe here holds like the opinion of Rameer that Adam Makhdavah Shabbat So even though he's not yet the owner of the slave, he could write him such a thing and then it's going to be Chalm. That's what the Pasuk is referring to. Don't make a slave go to his master. Meaning, if he doesn't follow through after the purchase and he's trying to enslave the guy, Basin should get involved and say, no, 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 no. That get Shabbat was already binding. And therefore, do not return him to his master, meaning he taka goes free. Now, the now the lashon gemara says asvocha kana lecham me achshav. Rashi says me achshav. Tibar masko me achshav. Rashi there says vechizavon lehavli meshukar lemafreya. Rashi understands the gemara taka means that it's a retroactive freedom. Very difficult to understand. We shouldn't have difficulty with Rashi because 
I, there's one is the question of whether that you could be mazadavash of the olam, but there's another question of how can you free someone who's not enslaved, right? When I buy you, then I will, then you will be free from now. But how can I grant you a freedom that actually preempts your slavery itself? You want to say that I can make the akna now, that when you're bought, you're automatically free. Okay, maybe there's such akna, but. What does that mean even, that it would be la mafreya? There would be a freedom which exists before the, before the slavery itself. That seems like a difficult concept. All right, says the Gemara, there was a story of Rabchista, Arakle, after the Bekusai. Rabchista had a slave who escapes and he ran to Bekusai. So this was all outside of Eretz Yisrael, Rashi says. Rabchista was outside of Eretz Yisrael, Bekusai was outside of Eretz Yisrael. So what happened? He said, come on, return it to me. So they said back to him, we're not going to return it. The Pasuk says, whenever a slave runs away, don't, don't, don't send him back. So they totally butchered the shot in the Pasuk. It's not saying whenever a slave runs away, don't return him. They just said, it's only talking about it. He ran to Israel, don't return him outside of Israel. So he said, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? And then the Pasuk says, when someone loses something, help him get it back. If you don't return it, no, that's talking about specifically when they ran from outside of Israel to Israel. Like the Drusha we had. Says the Gemara, why didn't he explain it like Rebbe? Right? What was wrong with Rebbe? We had two different interpretations. That is talking about you bought it unconditioned to free. Because the people he was dealing with were like Kusi people. And Kusim only understand literal interpretations. So if you're going to tell him that it's talking about someone bought it unconditioned to free in Bahule, they weren't going to buy that Pshat in the Pasa. So rather he corrected him with a different literal Pshat, which was um, where, where, where he ran away to Israel. All right, says the Abai once lost a donkey in this Kusi town. He sent to them, please return the donkey. They said, we need a simon. If you have a mark on it that you can identify what it is, we'll return it to you. And that's totally legitimate, right? A lost object, you know, that's the halach on the Torah. The Torah says, you keep it by you. That's what it means. You're not supposed to return a lost item you found into just anyone who claims he's the owner. You're supposed to establish he's the owner through the, through the method of giving them giving a simon. So he gave them a simon. He said back, it's a white belly. The belly of the donkey is white. So not for the fact that you're Nachmini and you, we, I, we hold you in high regard, we wouldn't return it to you. Don't all donkeys have a, have a white belly? So meaning you're not really giving us much of a simon. So they were just acknowledging that he was a very pious person and there was no chashash that he would lie. And therefore, that's why they returned it, uh, that's why they returned it to him. Amai says an interesting thing over here um, in, in terms of this, you can kind of get into this just a little bit of the lumness in terms of simanim. What is the point of a simon? It's an interesting chaykira, very famous chaykira in Elam Is the vart that when a person comes out of the blue and says, oh, I lost that, give it back, you assume, you assume he might be lying. But if he can't see it and you can identify a simon about it, so it's a raya, he's not a, he's not a liar. And if he's a raya, that he's not a liar, so then, uh, so, that, so, that, so then you give it back. Is that the pshat, that it's all about knowing about if he's lying, is that the point? Or is there a different issue? Maybe really, it's not sure you think he lied that he lost such an object. But the object that you have and who said that's the one that he lost. Maybe somebody else lost the same thing. So a guy comes and he says, I lost a wallet, give me back a wallet. That's great. And you totally believe him that he lost his wallet. It's true. He's not trying to stop to, to steal, take someone else's wallet. But there might be a mistake going on here. Two people may have lost a wallet and you might be giving him someone else's wallet. So it's up to Torah, let him give a simon which identifies that it's his wallet, and then he'll take it back. So meaning it's not pshat, it's the chashash meshaker. But it's to be mevarer that there's not a mistake going on, so it's the same one. And the basic nafkimina would be, what if you have a very pious person who you trust? 
You have a person that you trust without a simon. You know that he's not lying that he lost it. But that could be wonderful. But the possibility that someone else lost it is still there. That's a chayr than Afkamina. In this Gemara, you see that they're very happy returning it to Tam Chacham because if he was pious and this and that and they trusted him, it would seem like on some level that the point of the Indian is to establish that someone's not lying. That might be, might be there. Okay, there's something else more to talk about there, certainly, but just a little basic. Says the Gemara, says the Mishnah, famous sugi over here, right? This is the thing with his capture. What's the law? You're not allowed to ransom a captive for more than their value. If someone takes a Jewish prisoner and they want to give them back more than the value, you're not allowed to pay. Many taken olam, this is to benefit society. We'll see what the ticken is. Right? Normally it's a mitzvah pin shuyim. Here we say, don't do the mitzvah if it's more than the value. You can't help captives escape and they take an olam to benefit society. We'll see what that is. It's because of the captives who are left behind. Meaning the Tanakhama was saying the Tikkun Olam is because you know they see that people escape, so then the next time they capture people. They're going to treat them really, really bad. Whereas Rabbi Shimon Gamliel is saying, no, it's not for the next time they capture people, but rather for the captives who are left behind presently, but not for the future captives. So we'll see the Nafkamina in the Gemara. So we're saying that don't ransom them for more than the, value, the benefit of society. So the Gemara says, I'm going to take an Olam. What is it? I mean, is it the Yisait that you don't have to be impoverished the community in order to ransom a captive? Meaning, the Yisait, it's all about the guilt. We have to chasso Torah Mamonish Yisrael. Like, if you got the Hashem doesn't want us spending. Uh, you know, exorbitant amounts of money to ransom people. Is that the Indian? We shouldn't impoverish the community. We're nervous. It's going to encourage them to do it again. If they get great profits, get great returns, they might go into it professionally. So which one is it? Levi, the son of Darkly, ransomed his daughter for 13,000 golden dinners. Notice he didn't have to take from the community. He was very wealthy. So he didn't need from the community. So you see... If he was doing it, wasn't going against the Takana, presumably, must be he did it, that, and, and it's a riot, the whole issue is the burden on the community, and that's why he was able to do it without taking from the communal funds. So how do you know he did it in accordance with what the rabbis wanted? Maybe he did it, uh, really the reason might be to deter further, uh, for further abductions that the guy might do, but Levi who did it was doing it without the consent of the rabbis, so we don't come out with a clear proof. Fascinating thing. We don't come out with a proof. So, so what, what, what would you say? Like, how, how, do, how, do we, how would we pass in here if the Gemara, the, Gemara, the Gemara doesn't solve what the halacha is? So, in Taisus here, talks about, in the little Taisus talks about a fascinating thing. Yeshua ben Hanania, we know the story coming up in Baratachas, he was one ahead in the ransom. There was a child, the whole thing over there, he paid a huge amount of money. So, how do you allow to do that? That's a good name. So, Taisus says, a mufluk bachachma's mother. Mufluk b'chachma for someone who's like you know the gadol ador has a mufluk b'chachma you're allowed to do it. So what's the pshat? It sounds like you would you would say that pashas should be telling the two svaris of the gemara. If the svari is that it shouldn't impoverish the community, so there are times when it's better for the community to have the gadol ador even impoverish them. For a regular person, you don't want to impoverish the community. But if you go with the svara that is going to cause them to, to, to abduct more people, so then that svara doesn't work. How could you do that? It's not about how much the community needs this person. It's about the fact that they might do it again. You see from Taisus and Nishtazai that even though the Gemara is not machria, there's two stalling going on over here. Even on the side that it shouldn't come to further abductions, there's still a svara that a wolf of you could do. So that was the whole famous story with the Marami Rubenberg and the Rosh. And the thing was that they went through it, that Pashit, this Ritali in the two svaras from the Gemara, but ultimately they concluded, no, it's not true. They even though the Gemara is not machria, but the svara of Mufluk works either way, and therefore he should be redeemed. But the Shailah was whether he was the Mufluk Bacha. 
So he held, evidently, I'm not the Muvak Bachachma over here. Or I forget, I have to look up inside, I think he may have disagreed that Muvak Bachachma is a heter on both Stadim and the Gemara, right? Really, Ibn Tali and the two Stadim. And that was why he was so unwilling to be, to be ransomed. And that's why he died in the prison. All right. You don't help captives escape. One reason is they won't do it to the next people. Right? They're going to be, treat them worse. As Rosh Gamliel is saying, it's for the people who are there practically. The difference is if there's only one captive there now. According to Rosh Gamliel, there's no captives who are presently going to remain behind. So the one captive, you're allowed to help him escape. But according to Tanakama, you can't help even, even one guy to escape because the abductors will treat captives that they take in the future worse because you help these guys now. Says the Gemara story. The daughters of Nachman, they would be able to stir a boiling pot with their hands. Unbelievable! They looked like you know magic. You know they were supernatural over here, and they were able not to use a, a stir. They just put their hands in, stirred the water, boiling water. So Pashtus, what was the pshat? They must have been very righteous. So Kashali Rav Elish, Rav Elish saw this. And he said, "How could it be they're so righteous?" There's one sadik in a thousand. I never found right a woman who's like that. There's no such thing as a woman who's on that level. So how could it be? He comes out to Rav Nachman. I just observed it. Rav Nachman's daughters are so righteous. How could, how could we say that you can't find righteous women? So What happened was. This is why this is Mamish Ayinar. This is exactly classic Mamish Ayinar. You never want to say that about someone. How could it be that someone is righteous? Because Hashem orchestrated to show that really they weren't. There was a whole story that what happened was they were captured. They were abducted. What happens to you, Rav Ilish, was abducted as well with them. Yom Achad, one day while they're all captive, someone was sitting by Rav Ilish who understood the language of birds. Also, there was a raven who called out to Rav Ilish. Rav Ilish asked the person, my comrade, what's the raven saying? The person told Rav Ilish, Ilish brach, Ilish brach. It's saying that Ilish should run away. It said, you know, it's a good auspicious time to flee and you won't be caught. Rav Ilish said, Orva Shikra, I can't rely on a raven. A raven is a liar. Well, it's I don't trust. We go back to the story of Noah, took a look at the origins of the black raven. You'll see ravens are untrustworthy. Instead, a dove came and called out to Ravilish. Amar Ravilish said, "My comrade, what's it saying? One the same message. Ilus brach, Ilus brach." Amar Ravilish said, "Can I throw you on a mesila? I know that Klaus is compared to the dove." So they write, well, that Yonah is always so loyal to its mate. Clouds are loyal to Akal Shpamfu. Shpami Nisa, it's actually true. There's a Nisa that's going to happen if I escape. So Omar, he said, Azil, let me go. Let me see Rav Nachman's daughters. If they've kept their faith, meaning obviously it's a tremendous hard Nisiyon to be captive. If they're still, you know, religious, Adrino, I'll take them back with me. I'll help them when escape since I'm escaping. So Omar, he said, any concerns women have, they discussed in the outhouse. So he went out there to, you know, hear their conversation. He heard them saying, he said, they said as follows, that these guys, these guys that we're with now, they're our husbands now. And the older people from our daughter, they were our husbands in the past. But what they're saying is, we rather these guys. We don't want to go back home. Let's tell our captives, they should take us far away from here. We don't want our husbands to come. They can hear about us and free us. So basically, they had not kept their faith. That's the point. They have not kept their faith and they were really interested in not being too religious anymore. So come, he got up. Arak, he fled. He did not take the daughters. He went with the man who understood the bird language. A miracle happened to a village. He was able to cross on the ferry. But for the bird... The bird guy, what happened was, they found him and they killed him. Very, very interesting point in the story that the bird guy got killed. Unclear why, and unclear why the Gemara is speaking about it. Kiadrin Vazar and Nachman's daughters eventually did come back. Eventually they were ransomed back. Omar village said, They were just doing sorcery the whole time. In other words, the story, the fact that they didn't keep their faith, 
while they were in captivity, it showed that they never really were so righteous and the whole thing was a bunch of sorcery. It was not a level of righteousness, it was sorcery and don't believe it. Talk to Mishnah. You're not allowed to buy a Sefer Torah, Tfilin and Mezuzahs from a guy. It's more than their value. Why? Well, I mean, they take an Ola. What does that mean? Rashi explains. Community, right? They could be stealing Sefer Torah or whatever it is and trying to just make money. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm already in the second reason. Just stop. They would impoverish the community to have to, you have to ransom back the Sefer Torah for a crazy amount of money. That, that might impoverish the community. So you don't do that. Or because it might encourage them, Rashi says, to go steal more Svar, Tefillin, Mezuzahs, and unfortunately sell them back. So it says the Gemara Malay Rabbi Yehuda Ravashi. Yes, sir. Okay, they demand me lochin. It sounds like you don't ransom it back for more than their value. Okay, they demand lochin for equal than their value. You're allowed to buy them back. Shmami Naz. If there's some, you see from here that a safer Torah that's found by a guy, Karbo, you could use. In other words, the Gemara is assuming that if we're concerned that the, a safer Torah by a guy is just written by a guy and he read it l'shem avodazar or whatever, which we'll talk about in a minute, then there'd be no reason to ransom it. Vice dice, you see from here, not that way. You see that when you when a Sefer Torah is found by, by a guy and a guy is selling it, abs- at, no, actually you could assume it's a good one and therefore you're allowed to read from it. So Gemara, no, Doma knows you're buying it back to, to put it in Geniza, but you're not sure. In other words, really, really it's a Suffolk. You don't know. It might be kosher, but it also might not be. So practically, when you get it back, you're not going to be able to assume it's good. It's not shot, you ransom it because you will use it. You ransom it because it might be a valid Sefer Torah. It also might not be. It might be written by a Gleshem of Zorah. Practically put in Geniza, but there's still a din to redeem it. So in other words, it's an interesting thing. The Chiva, the ransom, even if practically you won't use the Sefer Torah, the Gemara is saying. So the Gemara, now we talk about this. We have a tradition. Sefer Torah, which a Min, a Sefer Torah, which is written by a Min. So what's a Min? So a Min is interesting. It actually could be um, it's a person, according to Rashi, he's all the Kumar. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't seem like whether he's a Jew or not. Sometimes you have a min, like, you know, a Pasay like that. Here, the point of min is that he's a priest. You know, a guy, he's mamasha devoted to Avodazar. That's the point. So it's written by a min, Yisarev. It should be birds. Why? Rashi says, for sure it was written for the shame of his Avodazar. And therefore, everything that was written there for the name of Hashem, he meant his pagan idol that he, that he worships. And therefore, it has to be burned, which is an incredible concept. Like you would say, it's got all the letters that are meant to be there, but it's not like that. The, 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 the intent that's so important about when you write the Shem Hashem in the, in the Torah, there's a Din al-Shema, and if it's written for an idolatrous intent, then it's Mamash HaChesim from Avodah even though it seems like the words themselves, the text of Torah, no, it's HaChesim from Avodah it's written with such intent, and therefore it should be burned. It's written by a Stam guy, meaning not someone who's so devoted. It should be put away. What's the pshat? So not so clear, but it seems that at this point we're just going to say we don't know. We don't. We we, we don't know exactly what the halach is if a guy writes it. Um, if he doesn't write it with, with with what his intent is and why his intent. So what we're saying is we're not sure. It may have been written with idolatrous intent. It may not have been. We can't figure out what in the world it is. So therefore, it should be put away. All right. Now, what if you don't know what was, what, what, you don't know who wrote it? It's just found there. Nimsa biadmin. The Sefer Torah that's found in the possession of a min. You got it, it should be put away. Why? Because if you wrote it, it's no good. If it was written by somebody else and just found by the min, it might be good. So therefore, misafik, it should be put in Geniza. Whereas Nimsa biadmin is found in the possession of a guy. I'm the Yikonis. Some people say it should still be put away. Lamaisa, he may have written it. You don't know. He may have written it and with the wrong thing. Or you say, no, you're actually allowed to use it. Other people say that you're allowed to use it. Why? Rashi explains it's a Svex Vega. First of all, maybe a good Jew wrote it. And even if he wrote it, maybe he didn't write it to the Shem Avodah He had a mind to write it to a Jew. 
And maybe that would be a valid Sefer Torah. So the Gemara seems to be entertaining possibility that a Sefer Torah, which was written by a guy, there's a tzad that it could be good. If he wrote with the right intent, there's a tzad here, it could be good. And therefore, if, you, if he wrote it itself, you're not sure what his mindset was. Therefore, don't use it. But if it was just found by him, then it's a double doubt. So if it's found by a priest, whereas if you wrote it for sure, it's not good. So it's only one suffix, then you can't use it. Whereas if it's found by a guy, then you could have a sex fake and according to this one opinion, you're allowed to use it. Okay, very good. Now, we actually get into more details about this halacha, Sefer Torah written by a guy. Sefer Torah goes, Oh, Sefer Torah written by a guy. Tani Chalabon Bright says, He's average to be born. Tani Yidach and all the Bright says, He's going to be put away. Tani Yidach and the third Bright says, Karambo, you could read it. So, how do we reconcile three different prices about a Sefer Torah written by a guy? So, the Maral Lokash, right? Tani Yidach, this one that it says, It should be burned. Rebel Azur, Yidach, Samash, Rebel Azur, Salah, Rebel Azur, Rebel Azur, Shitah, from Mitzachas Hulin, is that all Goyim are assumed to be very devoted to idolatry. So, just as what we said, when you have a priest, for sure, he wrote Lashem Avodazara. Rabbi Lezer takes that a step further. He says, basically, assume every guy is like a priest. That's his opinion. So like him, every Sefer Torah that's written by a guy, it should have the lid of a Sefer Torah written by the priest, and therefore, it should be burned. Hadani Gan is this, that it says it should be put away. Hi, Tana, who? It's going to be this Tana, who holds that when a guy writes something, it's possible, regardless of his intent. Sefer Torah, it's and Sefer Torah, it's which are written by they're all possible. Either these are people who are not shaykh to the mitzvah. Shenemar, as the apostle says, it says that you should bind the tefillin on your arms. And then it says you write the mezuzah. So we, can, we connect. Anyone who's involved in the mitzvah tefillin, Yeshem Ksiva, he is able, he's eligible to write it and infuse it with the right din. But anyone who doesn't have the mitzvah, the people who listed who don't have the mitzvah, they're not going to make it kosher. So basically what we're saying is all these people are potter from the mitzvah. And since they're potter from the mitzvah, or they don't practically observe the mitzvah, so therefore uh, they, they're no good. And even though that pasuk is only by tefillin and mezuzah, we, we dash, you know, and for sure, kavachom or for sefer Torah like that. So big yisait. In other words, it's not pshat that it's written shalolishma and it's like, no, they make it right with the right intent. But the vart is that there's a new pasuk, there's a new din, that you're not shy to create a shame of a sefer Torah tefillin and mezuzah if you're not someone who's mechuyiv in the mitzvah. Very famous taisus, the third taisus here says, that it's not only by these things, not only by the Ramesh Kedusha. He takes it that a woman can't make tzitzis. Unbelievable idea that a woman can't make tzitzis. So tzitzis, what do you mean? How can you say that? He says, for example, you find if a woman makes a sukkah, it's valid. Sukkah's ganbach, which is a guy or it builds a sukkah. Maybe there's halacha, that's a different thing. But fundamentally, the sukkah which is made by someone who's pater is good. So tzitzis is only by Sefer Torah, Tzulam, and Zosim's boy, the psukkah But Rabbi Tam used to take it much further. Rabbi Tam understood that she can't make tzitzis. It's fascinating, though. A lot of fun, interesting machlaikas. But the fascinating machlech, another side point from the Taisvis is that he says you can't be oigi the lulav. What is oigi the lulav? We don't pass him like Rabbi Yehuda. Man, we pass him lulav ain't tzarek The only reason we have an egg is al zakhili man veyu. It's al tzidur mitzvah. So what does it mean in isha agudas lulav? There's no dinasiyah. There's a dinasiyah. Agudas lulav. What is that? Well, well, you know, if there would be a lulav tzarek egel, you could say you have to make the asiyah here. It's just a din. It should look nice. Who cares who made it? Well, there's a psadinazah. Very interesting raid with that, but that, that was awkward. That's like the side, the takeaway. The fundamental machlaik is in the Rishonim is if we should take this Yisrael kosher, we should end up to other mitzvahs where it's only by Sefer Tarot But in the opinions that it shouldn't, and she shouldn't, let's say, make tzitzis, we're saying, oh, there's also then she shouldn't make the again. Fascinating idea. All right, says the Gemara. 
You can read it. You can buy Torah's quotes from Goyim anywhere. As long as they're written properly. There's a story once with a guy in Sidon. So he doesn't hold the rule of Shatim Saftam. And he holds that Goyim right with the right intent. They're not Stam Avodah So therefore, everything is okay. But the Gemara quickly rejects that. We're going to show that he holds that it has to be written that the, the even not only does the, the we're going to show that even the making of the hide the ibud the way you make to transfer the hide into parchment it had for tefillin when you tan it or work it, it has to be done lishma has to be done with the right with the right das and the leather vachule has to be done with the das that is going to be used for that purpose so for sure the ksiva itself the writing has to be done with the din of lishma and the gemara assumes that that's pasha that a guy is not going to have a din lishma meaning even if he's not writing lishem avodazara. But if there's a new halacha, that the making of the thing has to be done with shame mitzvah, evidently a guy is not shy to the din of lishma to make it in that way. And the Gemara brings a proof that Rashim Gamliel holds that even the ibud has to be lishma. The tiny tzipan zah. If somebody coated filling with a layer of gold, or they made the casings from a hide from an akosher animal, psulos. It's no good. It has to come from a kosher animal. If you made the cases from kosher animal, sheiris, they're good. Even though the ibud was not done lishma, you don't need ibud lishma. It's lishma. So if you need it, then even lishma. So for sure, sefer Torah, the chule, the ksiva itself has to be written for the purpose of the mitzvah. So there's no way that it's done for the purpose of the mitzvah. And it's very, very subtle. There's two machshavas. There's thinking the wrong thing in the naming. You're thinking about the about the geshka. Okay, that we can understand that we're not concerned that a guy has that. But if there's a new halacha, has to be written with a din lishma, a din lishma can't come from a guy. So the Gemara actually fascinating. The Gemara seems to uh, like concede the point. The Gemara says, "Remember Shmuel, beger shachaz of We're actually talking about a Jew. When we said that you could you could have it written by a guy, we didn't mean a guy. We meant a, a ger. So he had converted. So he's a Jew. But then he reverted back to his original ways, and he acts like a guy. But Lamaisa, he knows the halacha. He might, you know, he regrets the decision. But Lamaisa, he's a yid. So if he's a yid, so he knows the din, he knows the din of lishma, and he's capable of making a lishma. You might say it seems off to buy the sefer Torah from Mishra Gamliel, saying that you could, but he didn't actually mean a guy. So if you guy goes back to his bad ways, he's a min. If he's a min, you should be chayish. He's writing l'shem is gechka. Says the Gemara, he did it out of fear. In other words, there was some sort of threat. You know, whoever practices Judaism, we're going to kill. So he was nervous. So he went back to his ways only out of fear. He's really still a Jew, and he's writing seven darts. You can assume everything's good. So really, it's a little bit of a joke. It's not really a din in a guy. We shouldn't really struggle. So what came, what came out? So well, the price of that said, Lamaisa, that, that Sefer Torah, which is written by a guy you could read, Lamaisa, no one holds that way? Lamaisa, no one holds that way in a literal thing. No one has written by a guy, Taka, you can't read. There's no din lishma. Or maybe it's only Shemun Gamliel that the Gemara held that's Ibn lishma, but it could be there's Taka, Ashita that holds. Like that's what's funny about the Gemara. In other words, if you put together the issues, fundamentally, if there wouldn't be a din of writing lishma, you could understand how it could be that a guy say could be good. If he's not assumed to be a priest and you assume that he's, he's just writing it for the Jews to use, that would be fine. Shogam Leo can't be him. Shogam Leo, which proves holds there's a din of Ibn lishma. So if there's a din of Ibn lishma, certainly there's Kiva lishma, so it can't be him. He must only have been mastered to buy from the get. But could there be a Tana? We don't know who the Tana is necessarily. But could there be a Tana, hypothetically, who holds that a Sefer Torah written by a guy, Lamaisa, you could use? Maybe. But we haven't identified it. 
Or do I say that there's no one who really could hold that way done and, and, and there's a dinner lishma and the ksiva. It's an interesting thing. What do you take out of the Gemara? So I'll compare many disputes about a Sefer Torah written by a guy. Even though we said you can't overpay for them, but you're allowed to pay their base value, right? That was clear. But what about a little bit more? A tarpik more. So the says a tarpik is okay. My tarpik is an istra, which is a half as a very, very small amount of money. So you can't overpay like a significant amount. But if it's a tiny little overpay, then that's okay. Says the Gemara, there was an Arab woman, she brought a bag of tillin in front of her. He said to her, can you give me every pair of tillin for some dates? Right? So he's not willing to give her much. He starts, he starts with a hard deal. I'll give you a few dates for the tillin. She was very angry. She threw them in the river. Amar Abai said, I did the wrong thing. I shouldn't have cheapened them so much in front of her eyes. Look, look at the way she reacted. Now the tillin are drowned. So obviously that was the wrong thing. I should have been more treated the negotiation a little bit more uh, severely and gotten them back for a fair price.